Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, if you will um, find your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 18 down through uh, the end of the chapter, verse 31. And again, we are looking at the power of the cross, and specifically this morning, just how far can a Ph.D. take you? Many of the elite minds in our society, in our culture, have that title, Ph.D. Many that, whether they are, are, are physicians, of course, in physicians have MDs, but uh, they have that fancy doctor address as you um, look to call their names. And, and actually, believe it or not, I, I have actually encountered a couple of folks throughout my time around higher education in which I would go, uh, hey, Mr. Smith, or Mr. So-and-so, I won't call out their names, or I don't want to call them out to the carpet today, but... Mr. Smith, and they would then look back at me and correct me and say, I earned that PhD. Call me doctor. The arrogance. Sounds like something Donald Trump would say. I don't know. Uh, we get these elite in our society that, that, that some receive that PhD in very unconventional forms and fashions. In fact, we even have honorary doctorates in our society, schools that just give out PhDs. I'm saying I'm in first in line. Give me a PhD. Hey, call me doctor. That feels kind of good. Maybe bolster my ego a little bit. Pat myself on the back. Make myself feel like I've achieved something. After all, I've gone through a lot of education. I've got my uh, bachelor's from East Carolina University not the party school, the school that has improved scholastically throughout the years. I'll speak a little prideful. I got my little purple, you know, represent my purple pride today. Uh, I'm able to fit my ring on my finger. For years, I couldn't fit it on my finger. It got too small or I got too big. I don't know which one. Maybe both. But I didn't really feel like sending it off to Jostens and so... Here I am, wearing my ring today. makes me feel special. I don't know, how special do you feel? Does that degree that maybe you've worked hard, maybe you don't have a degree, maybe you've spent all your life working, hand, uh, foot to mouth, or you know, you've, you've put in the, the, the grit, the hard labor. Well, we're looking this morning at a chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, as Paul begins to address the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, in which I believe had a little bit of ego problems themselves. 
maybe they were stroking their own egos because they felt like they had all kinds of intelligent thought, philosophic discussions uh, that would make them feel special, it would make them feel elite, uh, make them feel better than other people who maybe did not have access to such deep thoughts or have access to those three little letters, Ph.D., or back in those days, declared some kind of rabbi or teacher. What we are looking at this morning proves, as Paul addresses this egotistical outrage, that no amount of scholastic achievement can get you a Ph.D. in knowing a Savior. It might get you a Ph.D. in knowing about a Savior, knowing about Jesus Christ. You can get a Ph.D. in religious studies. You can get a Ph.D. PhD in, again, just about anything. But no amount of education, no amount of of books, smarts, are going to get you achievement when it comes to knowing a Savior. Knowing personally, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. What I mean is that the power of the cross is accessible just as much to the one who goes to school for year after year after year, to the one who has spent not a single day in any formal education. We can go to any tribe, any nation, and present the gospel message, and the power of the cross will be just as accessible to that tribe, to that culture who knows nothing about formal education, to our tribe that prides itself on how many degrees we can muster. And how you go about receiving such power and ability is not found in, in the mind. It's not found through logic. It's not found through any manual. Believe it or not, it's not even directly found on the words on this page. After all, they're just words of Greek and Hebrew and translated into English. It's the message. It's the inspiration, it's the Holy Spirit that rests beyond the words, that, that goes deep in the, the heart of the text, the meaning of the text that penetrates the heart, that changes the, the life of the believer and ultimately affects the relationship that exists between God Almighty and us feeble human beings. Faith lies much deeper in an individual's soul. It's not always logical. It's not always intelligent. And so by looking at the text this morning in 1 Corinthians, I want us to see where the power of the cross can and ultimately cannot be found. First, the power of the cross cannot be found in the intelligent mind. Look in verses 18 of chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, as we start. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us 
who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Intelligence that will be frustrated. Wisdom that will be destroyed. Makes me wonder as technology forms and grows, as this society claims to be advanced, how far have we really come? Especially when we want to make a phone call. Seems like Again, as I mentioned on Wednesday night to the Wednesday night Bible study crowd, it seems like I have to go through an act of Congress now on my smartphone that often seems to be much more intelligent than myself. I mentioned also the uh, Wednesday night that I had just purchased a new TV, and it's considered to be a smart TV. Again, smart TV, smartphones, it implies that somehow there is an intelligence that is, exists in that little CPU that promotes an image or creates a task. But after all, it makes me feel really dumb. So I guess that's why we call them smartphones and smart TVs. After all, when I turn that TV on, sometimes all I want to do is watch TV. I don't want to know all about the TV show and who the actor was and where he was born and what you know, happened when he went off to college and his whole life story. I just want to watch the daggone TV show. I just want to see uh, my Tar Heels play basketball. I don't really care to know when UNC was established and I don't really care to uh, have all these uh, access to these things that, again seem to frustrate. Maybe that's what God's doing by calling all these things smartphones and smart TVs or allowing us to call them smartphones and smart TVs. He's humbling us. He's getting us to see that technology is not all it all cracked up to be sometimes. Knowing Christ, knowing Jesus, as we look at the Scripture this morning, Paul points out, is not found in a book. It's not found in a manual it's not found in knowing about God. Knowing about God does not equal knowing God. What the text is essentially pointing out is that knowing God doesn't come through the conventional way we go about learning here on earth. Knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, knowing the heart and mind of Christ does not come through wisdom or intelligence or logical fault. Now that's hard sometimes for humans to understand, to wrap their minds around. After all, we're talking about wrapping our minds around something that can't be wrapped around because after all, it's not my, It's not about the mind. It's not about logic. It's not about intelligent thought. It's about 
the heart. See, I think that's what ultimately Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand. We know the church in Corinth is very influenced by Greek thought, and we'll talk about that in just a moment and how that factors in here. Maybe that's why they struggle with this paradox of knowing God without using the mind, without using thought. It's not an earthly knowledge about God that allows us to truly understand the power of the cross. It's knowledge from above. It's by faith. That five-letter word that throughout generations has dumbfounded so many who had all kinds of intelligence, had all kinds of promise, and all kinds of ability to shake and change the world up, could not accept something on faith. Could not accept something unless they could add it up in a calculator. Could not see it unfolded. We understand the power of the cross Ultimately, by faith. A faith. An intimate way of knowing God through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. It divides, it separates those who genuinely believe from those who just have a lot of head knowledge about God. And it unites us to something larger. After all, the devil himself knows all kinds of things about the Word of God. Knows all kinds of things about God. In fact, the devil knows God. But he convinces us that we can't know God. Really, no, we can't. It leads us to a greater and a grander plan that is unfolding before us and before the body of Christ to something larger than ourselves. Leads us to the next place we ultimately cannot find the power of the cross. The power of the cross cannot be found in what we want Jesus to be for us. Look in verses 22 as we pick up our text. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wow. Wow. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. What does all that mean? Well, we've talked before about what the Jews thought Jesus was going to be, what kind of Messiah that the Jews wanted and that were looking for and that were anticipating. They were looking for a Messiah to come to this earth and usher in a kingdom. 
not of heavenly origin, but of earthly origin. They believed that Jesus was going to be a military leader. Hey, that's why as the soldiers began to come and arrest Jesus, Peter and others began to pull out their swords to fight because here was their stand. Jesus has been talking all this nonsense about death on a cross. He's just been testing us. Here the soldiers come. Here's our first and final stand. A battle that they believe was going to ensue. Because after all, how do you overthrow a kingdom? How do you overthrow a power? You have to battle. You have to war. Because, hey, let's face it, Herod and the chief priest, none of them were getting the job done when it came to the bargaining table. They weren't seeing much of any kind of progress when it comes to restoring the Jewish kingdom, to restoring their place that they believed they had, their rightful place. It's always when humans or humanity or, or us as, as individuals begin to think of ourselves as having ownership over any patch of this earth, that we ultimately find ourselves stumbling all over the place. I don't know how many of you believe that you own All the possessions that you have. Now that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I know when we leave this place, when Sarah and I get done here this, this morning, we're going to go get in our car. Which, by the way, we don't own. Kind of. Sort of. The bank says we own a little bit of it. Half of it. I don't know which half, but we own, I guess, half of it. By now, maybe. And then we're going to go to our house. Which, by the way, we don't, we don't, we don't really own. The, the bank says we do. I don't know how much. Maybe by now we've paid off enough to own, I don't know, Sarah, what do you think? The sink? The bathroom? The guest bathroom. Maybe the guest bathroom. Maybe the guest bathroom in a closet. The guest closet. Because it's not that big. We think of ourselves as owners, right? We think of all these things we own, possessions that we have. After all, though, what are we really going to take with us if something happens? Nothing. Nothing's going with us. We know it stays. So do we really own? Well, according to the world standards we own, we can be owners. And according to the world standards, depending on how much you own, ultimately, often depends on how much power you have and how much, how much, again, how much muster and how much clout you seem to have in this society. American dream, right? Well, depends on who you talk to nowadays. Some people say the American dream is gone. I'm not going to have that discussion from the pulpit. But what I will discuss is how Scripture speaks 
about individuals who have been tricked, and I would argue been tricked by Satan, tricked by ultimately the evils of this world, which we know the ruler of this world being Satan, tricked into believing we are owners. We possess this world. And so if we possess this world and we possess this Bible and we possess all kinds of scholastic materials sitting in our homes about Scripture, authors who have come before us who have written all kinds of really good books and commentaries and dictionaries about Scripture and about faith. Well, all that combined ultimately tricks us sometimes into believing that we have a monopoly, that we have the right understanding, a grasp on who Jesus and who God is. Not to the world, not ultimately in the grand scheme of the cosmos or whatnot, but ultimately to us. That's what ultimately the, the, the disciples, the, the twelve, that's what they struggled with. They struggled with believing that Jesus was going to usher in this earthly kingdom, that He was going to be an earthly Messiah, that He was going to bring back their culture, their, their livelihood, all that they hoped for, all that they knew God was going to be for them all that they knew God was going to do for them. They knew deep down, you could say they were convicted. They had all kinds of faith. Foolhardy faith, mind you. But faith, nonetheless. Belief. But it was belief in a God that would ultimately serve their purpose, their culture's purpose, their society's purpose, their Jewish kingdom's purpose. And so that's why Paul says that Jesus Christ crucified, killed His earthly kingdom which cannot exist because He's not on earth any longer. His crucifixion is a stumbling block for the Jews. That's where the Jews can't get, that's where the Jews can't get past. They can't get past the fact that Jesus died because Jesus, if He was the true Messiah, was not going to bring in some heavenly kingdom. He was going to bring in an earthly kingdom. He was going to be their God. Wow. You know, we look back on the Jews and we think, how could they? When we should look at ourselves and say, how dare we? How dare we? Okay, so we see foolishness to the Gentiles, but what about this frustration, this foolishness to the Gentiles? Well, remember I mentioned a minute ago, we were going to talk a little bit about the Greek influence on this Corinthian church. Very Greek to think that thinking will get you somewhere. After all, it is the great philosophers, the great scholastics of the ancients that were Greeks. And so, in order to be a good Greek, you had to be a person who was deep in thought. Who read all the time? How many people like to read? Just raise your hand. 
I don't care so much about reading myself. It's not that fun. I, in fact, my mom and dad used to force me to sit in my room. It was punishment. Maybe that's why I don't like it so much. It reminds me of punishment. Make me read. How dare they? I wanted to go outside and play. I wanted to go and play 50, as the NFL would say. I wanted to go get my 50 minutes of play so I could stay in shape so I wouldn't grow up to be unable to put my ring on my finger. Now I read. How often do we fall in the trap of the Jews or, or the Greeks here of, of believing that somehow if we can... Uh, attain enough knowledge about God, if we can attain enough information about God, then we can ultimately understand all that we need to understand, not only about what God's saying here in this passage or that passage, but ultimately about life itself. That's what the Greeks ultimately understood or believed, and they had faith. They had conviction that if they had enough knowledge, that's where the word uh, the word knowledge comes from the word, Greek word Gnostic. It was very important for Greeks to have as much knowledge as they could because the more knowledge that they had, the more information that they could amass, the more they could understand not only about their situation, but about the grand scheme of the world. And ultimately... Yes, including the grand scheme of God. For a good Greek, the way to know God is to know as much about God. So now you understand why crucifixion, salvation, sacrifice, belief, faith. Now you understand why that would be considered foolishness, a waste of time. Don't waste your time. Spend your time reading. Getting to know as much about God as you can. Failing all the while to miss the important, vital, crucial component that ironically is in the text. Learning to know God. None of these things without faith, ultimately, without deep conviction of knowing a Savior personally will be enough wisdom for us to understand the power of the cross. We'll never be able to access the power of the cross without getting past these two struggles. So be rest assured the power of the cross cannot be found in justifying our way of living. So we're left here trying to discover the power of the cross. And it's discovering that it's ultimately found in not how much we know about, but how much we know Jesus personally.
how much faith, how much of a relationship we have ultimately with Jesus Christ. Pick up, if you will, in verse 24, down through the rest of the text. It says, But to the to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were before, or when you were called, when before you were called, for that matter. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you here. I mentioned a minute ago, I'm not a big fan of reading. I'm, I'm not. I mean, I'll read about the Scripture. I'll read about the text. I'll read as much as I can to understand what God's trying to teach me in life. But I grew up, as I told you, being punished by being forced to read. It, it, it ultimately ended up with a result of us of an average C student. But when I came to really know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my life changed. About halfway through college, when I came to understand that faith and religion and this thing called church and this thing called Christianity was not about showing up on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whatever. It was not about giving and tithing. and It was not about going in the community and being a Bible thumper. It was about a relationship. It was about getting to know God. That was possible. To learn that, it shook my world upside down. It changes me. I was an arrogant fool. Ask Sarah. She'll tell you. I was an arrogant fool. She knew me before. I was an arrogant fool. After I came to learn this great truth, I actually learned to enjoy reading. It's funny when you start to actually read and learn. Becoming something more than an average C student is possible. I, I was on academic warning when all this took place. I was My GPA was sub 2, okay? I graduated with a 3.0. I had nothing but A's the rest of my time in college. I went off to to Gardner-Webb, I got a master's degree. I mean, I can't believe it as I even think back on it. It truly proves to you that he can use the foolish. I was a fool. I was not wise by human standards. 
Now I have so much intelligence that Sarah can't even comprehend. In fact, not a lot of people can comprehend things come out of my mouth sometimes. But what I do understand, I understand faith. Understand having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand that what's in the heart of someone will always be much more strong. Much stronger. See? That's much more strong. That's not right. It's much stronger than anything you can amass in your head. Than any amount of PhDs, doctorates, Masters, bachelors, GDs, you can attain. Scripture goes on to talk about boasting. I'm having to wrap things up here. Goes on to talk about how all these things take place so that we can't boast about ourselves, but rather so we can boast in the only the Lord. Intellect, religious superiority, IQ, it all attempts to give the credit to us to boost our own ego. When the Word tells us the boasting and the power of the cross acknowledges the need for righteousness, the need for a Savior, the need for God. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. So that Christ gets the credit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we begin to understand that this power of the cross is hard to understand. But what we do know about it is it only becomes possible when we deny ourselves when we begin to realize that we don't have enough on our own that it's only through Jesus Christ it's only through his power it's only through the relationship with him that we can have access to that power help us humble us we need to be humbled. Help us to embrace this faith. This believing in something greater and larger than ourselves and ultimately realizing that we, we can't do it on our own and that we're fools to believe and never have been convinced that somehow driving or steering the, the vehicle of this life, the journey that we fought, we find ourselves on is sufficient. So pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.